Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. I'm your host, Dr. Derek Burgess. You got to be brilliant in the basics. You know, some days maybe are not uh, exciting. Some days could potentially even be boring for people, but it's the brilliance in every day coming in, knocking the basics out at a high level. And when you do that, you get to reap the reward. All right. So tonight we have Dr. Matthew Dillon joining me on the podcast. Dr. Dillon, welcome to the show. Uh, Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. So a brief introduction for Dr. Matthew Dillon. Um, He is the superintendent of Petal School District in Petal, Mississippi. He's born and raised in Columbia, Mississippi, which little known fact is the hometown of Walter Payton. Uh, So we'll have to see how his football or sports accolades uh, (laughs) measured up to Walter Payton. That's right. Sweetness. It doesn't get much better than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So very glad to have you here. And if you could just give us a little um, information about yourself and your family. Yeah, obviously, family is so important to me. Uh, I want to share a little bit about my family. I've been married to Marianne for 17 years. I actually, uh, she is a pedal graduate, so it's really neat that we're back uh, to her home as far as where she graduated as an alumni. Uh, as you mentioned, I grew up about 40 miles down the road, so I'm pretty close to home being right here in the Pine Belt. Uh, we have three beautiful kids. My son, Nathan, 14 years old. Uh, at the Petal Middle School, we have a, my middle daughter, Peyton, 12-year-old at the middle school as well. And then we had a little bonus baby in life, uh, Anna Kate. Now, she came along, and she's eight years old, and she's at Petal Primary School. So very blessed uh, to have their support. You know, in, in a leadership role, it can be tough. And I know that when I get home, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, and uh, they fully support me in what I do, and that means so much to me. Uh, unfortunately, in leadership, too, you miss out on a lot right? Uh, I have uh, 4,200 other plus kids in my district that I treat as my own, and I go to their events and go to uh, special things that are happening in their life as well. So I can't say enough about my family, and they're just the backbone of of what, of who I am and the way that they support me is second to none. Absolutely. And like you said, when you have young kids, it's a juggling act, right? So, so many activities going on and so many responsibilities from being a leader because, I know that it is not a seven to three, nine to five, seven to five, whatever you want to say, job. It's nonstop as a leader in the school district. It is. It is. You know, I think it's so important. You know, I spend about 10 plus hours academically every day. And then you have the night events with activities and arts and academics are a big part of who we are as a district. And I've always had the mindset that I want to be there to support our kids. I want to be there to support our coaches and our sponsors because uh, they invest a lot of time in practicing, and I want to be there to support them and see them in a different light outside of the classroom. But with that, I try to attack, bring my kids along and, and, and my wife, Marianne, along as much as possible to events. That's kind of turns into date night <laughs> sometimes for us. Um, but it is special, too, now that my kids are actively involved in sports and arts. Uh, I have kids playing soccer, uh, part of the show choir program as well. And, uh, and my wife's the one that carries so much weight when it comes to getting kids, my ki- our own kids from point A to point B. Uh, but uh, we balance it pretty well. We've had it figured out. We've been doing it 20, you know, for quite some time as far as in the field of, uh, of education and with our own kids. So um, every moment I get with them, that's a special time for me. Absolutely. So Dr. Dillon, one of the main reasons I wanted to speak with you is because the model that you built for early childhood education and the success that you've had in your school district, which is a public school district, in the state of Mississippi, uh, which we know is one of the more 
poor states in the United States. However, you still succeed in educating people from all backgrounds and from all socioeconomic backgrounds. So I just wanted to speak with you about number one, um, just kind of the philosophy that you have for educating kids. Yeah, I think it's so important to have a no excuse attitude when it comes to with kids. You know, our parents and our families are giving us the best that they have, and that's their precious kids. And then from there, we take them and, and we have the time allotted with them over a 180 day school day or school year uh, to, to make the most of that time with them. So uh, first, it starts with the relationships with me. I'm a big relational guy. Um, you know, kids don't really know how much, uh, don't, don't really care how much you know until they know how much they, you care about them. Mm -hmm. So it's so important that we build those relationships at our early age, uh, that we're building not only relationships with those students, but with those families. Because uh, if you think about it, if we have them for pre-K through 12th grade, that's a long period of time. And we want to make sure that's a great, uh, great experience for them uh, every year, year in and year out. And the only way we can do that is knowing our people. So it starts with relationships, uh, relationships with our staff, uh, and then relationships with our students and uh, their families. And then from there is providing a world-class educational opportunity. You know, we're a blue-collar community. We're not a country club community here in Petal, but yet we yield great results. And it's because of our approach. And it's not about any kind of program that we have. It's because our people are good at what they do. They're professionals. Uh, they know their standards. Uh, they know how to reach kids. They know what that intrinsic motivation is to, to make kids tick. And what are the things to make them uh, motivated at, at being good at academics or good at an activity or whatever they might be doing. So it starts by, by knowing, your, knowing your kids, knowing your content. And then from there, it's just execution. And we have so many good processes in place um, that really help our district move forward. And you know, our mentality is we want to be Mississippi great, but we also want to be nationally competitive in what we do. I have so many friends across the nation uh, through an educational consortium I'm a part of. And I'll tell you, it's very interesting. My friends in Louisiana, Alabama, Tennessee, Ohio, Virginia, Missouri, all these different places uh, that, that we have connections with and we have ongoing meetings with, we're well respected out of that group. And uh, that makes me happy. That makes me proud uh, of what we're doing. And, and just these kids right here in little old Petal, Mississippi are getting a great opportunity that when they leave high school, they can be whoever they want to be, whether it go straight to the workforce, whether it be to go to college or to the military. And we just want our kids to have the best opportunities uh, when they come out of Petal. And, it, and I'll tell you, our teachers are second to none. Our leaders are, are very focused, very grounded our support staff and everything that we do, we want to be excellent. And um, I know I keep saying the same things, but it, it goes back to our people. Our people are special. Yeah. So I want to piggyback off a couple of things that you said off of that. So number one, you know, you're very humble about the way that you said that a great school system, but this is year in and year out, one of the top, if not the top schools in the state of Mississippi. And there's one thing to be able to one year have an A school district or an A school. Many school, many programs might have an A school in the district, but to have an A school on every level in the district is very commendable. And to be able to do that year in and year out, to stay on the top. So that's what I wanted to just speak with you about. Achieving success is one thing, but the ability to maintain success is a whole nother monster. Um, so what's your attitude or philosophy about that? Just not being comfortable with the fact that, hey, you've been 
I don't know how many years in a row, but tell us how many years in a row you've had the number one school district and not just being complacent, but still pushing the envelope to stay ahead of the competition. Yeah, so uh, you're speaking right up my alley right here. This is what drives me. This is what uh, also gives me the grade that I have on my hair as well, yeah. as well, because this is what drives me to get up every day. I want to be better every day. I want us to get better. It's kind of like that kid trying to dunk the basketball. I want to consistently dunk every time I go down the court. Uh, some days we do, some days we don't, but that's what that's what our mentality is in the driving force. Uh, to your answer, we we've been the the number one rated district five out of the last seven years. Um, you know, we're not about test scores in our district. However, uh, we are about success, and and that's one way to measure the success that we have uh, with our state test scores and our accountability system. I love what you said. We don't want to be a one hit wonder. Uh, our goal is to provide consistency year and out. That's what our kids deserve. That's what our families deserve. That's why kids move into our and families move into our district uh, because they're going to get a high quality education, you know, in all of our schools. And we're not just uh, heavily dependent on one school versus another. We have five schools in our district and they are phenomenal schools and they all have their strengths and they all have those areas that they excel in. But again, we have this mindset uh, through our processes. We're very intentional in what we do. Uh, one of the phrases that really I don't like in, in, my, in, in any of our vocabulary is, well, we, we've just always done it that way. Well, we, we got to look at things differently. For example, uh, we've had a lot of success, but now we're looking at going to a modified school calendar in the year 22-23 school year. And that's going to be a little bit of a change. It's going to be a shift. And some people would say, why would you do that? You're, you're yielding great results. Why would you go that route? Well, I think that's what's best for kids. I think that's what's best for staff. And sometimes when you're doing what's best, you have to do, you have to make change and you have to do things. So uh, my team of leaders that I hire and work with on a consistent daily basis and our PLC leaders and our teachers, we're always striving to get better. I love going to PLC meetings. That's called professional learning communities where our teachers meet to grow their craft, to share content information. Sometimes they even do lesson study. You break down film. It's just great what happens. And it's all with the mindset of a growth mindset. We want to get better year in and year out. Now, does that mean just on state test scores? No. We want to get better when it comes to social emotional learning. We want to get better when it comes to arts and athletics. I don't care if we're playing checkers. Whatever <laughs> we're doing, we want to get better. And it's that mentality of coming in every day. There's a book called Keep Chopping Wood. And what I love about this book, it says you got to be brilliant in the basics. You know, some days maybe are not uh, exciting. Some days could potentially even be boring for people. But it's the brilliance in every day coming in, knocking the basics out at a high level. And when you do that, you get to reap the reward, you know, after the 180 day school year. Right. Um, so that's that's kind of the driving force. We're, we're always trying to grow. We're, we're looking at professional development. We're not big on programs. We like to build things internally. Uh, we invest in our leaders. We invest in our teachers. And uh, it's just a collaborative approach to this culture that's been created uh, that we want to be the very best every day. And that's giving our all. So little things like on Fridays when maybe other businesses, organizations maybe um, maybe don't give their best effort that day. We, we double down on Friday. There's days before holidays. We want to maximize every opportunity that we have. And sometimes that's easier said than done because we all get tired mentally, physically, but it's that drive. That's what keeps us going. It's just that, that uh, continuing pursuit of excellence Absolutely. in all that we do. 
So one thing, looking at your career, you started off as a substitute teacher, <laughs> and now you're the superintendent. So I'd imagine that allows you to be able to relate to someone on every level, right? How does it that... is? I guess that could be my book title when I write a book from yeah. substitute teacher to superintendent, right? Yeah. That has a pretty yeah, good ring. <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, as I look at my career uh, over the last 20, uh, 20 years uh, in education, K-12 public education, uh, I would say every stop has groomed me for the position that I'm in right now. First off, being a substitute teacher while still in college, I was substituting my junior and senior year. And that really solidified that I really wanted to do this for the next 30 plus years of my life. Mm -hmm. Also, it gave me an advantage of classroom management, uh, just getting a feel of what it's like to have your own classroom, even though I was just a substitute. But substitutes play such an important role in our district in the absence of a teacher. And then from there, I got my degree and I was an elementary ed major. I graduated right here in Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, and I had a minor in biology, which is kind of odd having elementary, but I had so many science classes and I love the field of science. Uh, I had a minor in biology. And, and then from there, my career just went from a teacher to a baseball, high school baseball coach, administrative intern, uh, naturally right into an assistant principal role, an interim principal, head principal at multiple high schools, 6A high schools, assistant superintendent. So I really climbed the ladder in every step, and, and it really has served me well from all the different experiences uh, through all the five districts that I've been a part of. Absolutely. So how many years have you been in your current role as superintendent? I'm currently in my eighth school year as a superintendent of federal schools. Okay. All right. Time flies. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> now, when we talk about early childhood education, one thing that baffles me when I start hearing the statistics about, you know, by third grade, your reading level and how they project and use those things to project of what you can do in your career, or even, you know, from a, a bad standpoint, who might end up in the juvenile or the penal system at some point. Can you speak to those statistics? And, and then I have a follow up question of how do you have try to reverse those statistics in your district? Yeah, you're exactly right. We have such a strong emphasis in this school district. Well, prior to me getting to this uh, position as superintendent, we were the first ever Excel by five community in the state of Mississippi. And what that talks about is we're investing in the lives of students from birth to five years old. We're connecting with families. We're sitting in their living rooms with our parents as teachers working with them. We have a center uh, located in our community that's called the Center for Families and Children, where parents that have a one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, and that are not ready to go to pre-K, they have the opportunity to check out resources in our community. And uh, you'd be surprised as much as we communicate that, some people still say, I didn't know that was there. And it is such a great resource, no strings attached. You come, have playtime with your kid. We can assist if you would like some assistance. But this is my, my, my thought on this. The best form of dropout prevention when you talk about graduation rates starts at the pre-K early childhood education level. As many opportunities that we can give kids at that early age to see what school looks like, structure, how do you share, uh, what's age appropriate, things that parents are doing their best, but maybe they're not trained in what's best. So one of the best things you can do is just read to your child, right? That's one of the best things that you can do is connect, read. Uh, there's many uh, manipulatives and workbooks and different things out there. But um, one thing that we have done is we have a collaborative, a pre-K collaborative, and we have multiple pre-K pre classes in our district. And it has yielded some phenomenal results if you track their growth 
through their K-12 journey, you know, starting in a pre-K. But here's another thing, Doc. Every year, even though we have a class of, say, kindergartners, about three to 350 a year, just mm-hmm. depending, I still have about 100 kids every year. I don't know if they had any kind of – we can't put our hands on them, and, mm-hmm. and we don't know where they're at. Now, some have moved in, I understand, but then some we're just not able to connect with. So uh, we connect with our local daycares. We provide the same curriculum, and we provide that to them. So it matches the same curriculum that we're using to better prepare them for kindergarten. And then when you get to us in in pre-K, kindergarten through third grade, as you mentioned, uh, we know the importance of foundational reading skills and the science of reading and all the things. And of course, math and science and activities and and all the things that go with that. So our people are highly trained in uh, the latest and greatest techniques out there to get the most out of our students and to make sure that they're uh, well-prepared uh, for third grade. Now, in our state, we have something called the Literacy Based uh, Learning Act, which is uh, some people refer to it as the third grade gate mm-hmm. that you have to pass in third grade. Just go into what your stats were, the stats that you were just sharing with us. Uh, so we put a strong emphasis uh, working uh, with our uh, lower elementary teachers. We have teacher assistants that go along with them. We have interventionist specialists. We have inclusion teachers. Uh, you name it, we, we have those resources because we know if we can first get people to attend, you know, attendance is something that sometimes can be overlooked. Mm-hmm. You know, my thought process, if our doors are open, we want kids present because we know what we can do if we have them with us. Um, and, and, and once we get them there, hopefully it's going to be a fun experience. Uh, I know my kids, my kid comes home telling me all the great things that they do every day. And um, I'm very fortunate to be able to see things behind the scenes of what's happening each and every day. So um, it is so important, those early foundational years of setting the stage for their future success, not just in K-12 school, but in, in life, in, in their career path or their, uh, or, or their college path or wherever they might be going. Yeah. Well, you just kind of speak on the ability to read and how that is so important to success overall. Uh, I know one thing, this is a funny story. So I went on a college interview, uh, it's an embarrassing story, but I went on a college <laughs> interview for a presidential scholarship and they said, what do you not like? And my mouth opened up and said, I don't like reading. <laughs> and as it came out of my mouth, I saw that expression on the interview interviewer's face just completely change. And I was like, <laughs> I should not have said that. But needless to say, it didn't get that scholarship. However, I learned from that. Um, but I do know and I realize even more now how important reading is as I began to take standardized tests because the faster you can read, the faster you can get through the material and the better you can do. Um, so just speak on reading and how strong readers tend to be better students in general. Yeah, I just, I just think about it just in life skills. I want you to think about when you have to put a grill together or you have to put a toy together. What are, what are we doing? We're reading instructions, right? I know we're very fortunate now to go to YouTube and see a a, a, a video right. that shows you step by step, which yeah. is a blessing. But um, yeah, I mean, just even in life skills in everyday life, that's one of those skills that, uh, you know, it's funny. You talk to kids in their in their school and I'm never going to have to use this. Why are mm-hmm. we doing this? This is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, but reading is something you do every day. Good reading and writing skills can carry you a long way. Um, so, you know, we try to to make sure that we provide opportunities for students to have choice in reading. Like, for example, boys might obviously have different interests in some of our girls and what they read. 
So in some of our classes, instead of saying, all right, we're all reading this one book, we give choice. And I think that's important to have a love for reading. You know, my reading has changed over the years. I read a lot for leadership. Mm-hmm. I read a lot for growth, whether it be spiritually or uh, whether it be uh, for my job and, and things like that. So not so much as for as pleasure, but for growth of my own um, to make sure I'm getting fed and I'm getting things to make me better. So uh, we try to be very tailored and intentional with what we do in our schools. We want to make sure that it's a fun experience. We have small group reading. Uh, I say if you're a struggling reader, sometimes hearing somebody else read instead of coming from the teacher can be a peer reading can be very helpful. Uh, we do have some online programs that can assist supplemental. Uh, nothing takes the place of the teacher, but there's some good supplemental things that we can do uh, to assist. So uh, if you look at how our schedules are built, you can see the strong emphasis around English language arts, which is reading and writing and how that's going to better prepare them for future years in K-12, but also college, military, and the workforce as a whole. All right. Now, one thing we mentioned college. So with the rise in cost of education, you know, and student loans. So many times people will say, hey, I want to go to X school. Curriculum, uh, tuition may be $60,000, $70,000, and I want to do this career, which it might not add up to paying off those high student loans. Um, and we know that you, there's many trades that you can get into. There are many other ways to go about getting a, an education after high school. How do you counsel your students to try to find a career or link them up to something that's going to be beneficial for their future? First thing we do at the high school level, and really be before the high school, we try to expose our kids. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can think back, Doc, when I was thinking, man, that's a lot coming at you, you're your middle school and high school years, for example, what am I want to do when I grow up? Right. right. That's what you always hear. Yeah. And a lot of people change their minds multiple times. And hopefully from a parent standpoint, that's not during college, right? Because right. that could extend <laughs> your college and, sure. and get into more financial uh, hardships there. But w- what we do is try to expose them. We have a great career in technical education, which is called CTE. Uh, maybe for people in prior years, you might've heard it as a Votech. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a way to show them what trades are out there, what's available to them. And we have some great programs available. I wanna, I'll tell you one that is pretty neat to me. Uh, we have a lineman program uh, where if you want to be a lineman, uh, you can get that right there at Pedal High School. We have a teacher academy program where we're trying to uh, grow our own, if you will. Uh, so we have multiple other ones, Allied Health, and the list goes on and on. So first thing is exposure. Then what we try to tell our parents, we had a financial aid night the other night, uh, the other night virtually. And it's a great way to uh, educate parents on all the scholarships that are out there. You will not believe how many scholarships are Absolutely. left on the table year yeah. in and year out to the point where I tell parents and I tell fam- friends or around that you fill out everything you can and all they can say is no, right? Uh, so I want them to fill out everything. I know when it comes time for my kids uh, to get to that level, we're going to be filling out paperwork left and right because there's a lot out there. So there's really to what you just said, education is rising. You get a lot. You see student loans is one of the top uh, biggest challenges across our nation. Right. Mm-hmm. But I will argue with what has happened with the pandemic, which is interesting to me and the way that the colleges have made it more accessible for school, either virtually or however they've done that, it is for, there's really not a reason if you have a want or desire not to go to school. Right. Uh, now, of course, you have to figure it out financially, but again, there's scholarships out there. There's other ways to get around that, but uh, you know, that used to be where the colleges 
really did not bend as much. You had to do it during the day, maybe a night class, if you were lucky, a weekend class. But now it's so accessible that uh, there's many, many more opportunities, I think, for our students to, uh, even if they have a financial hardship and they have to work a little bit, they can still work and go to school. So exposure, scholarships, um, and, and that's kind of the big things. And we have counselors at our high school and really even before that where we start talking about career paths. And one of the best things I encourage kids to do at the high school, we had something the other day where we provided the ACT for our juniors, the real ACT, and then we had a practice AT, ACT for our freshmen and sophomore. So seniors had a day that they could go into work sites and go partner with a, 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 a owner of a business or a, a doctor or a lawyer mm -hmm. or a nurse or whatever you want to do and get to learn what do you do on, during a seven-hour day? What is it really like? Not just what we see on TV. Right. We want to see what it's really like. And we really partner with our local businesses here in, uh, in Petal and also in the greater Pine Belt so that they can get those experiences. Yeah, that's excellent. Now, one thing, do, could you provide some resources for looking up scholarships? What's a good place to go to try to figure out what scholarships are out there? Yeah, you're not going to believe this. I'm watching Shark Tank uh, one yeah. night, yeah. and uh, they showed a app that is out there. And what it does, uh, from my understanding, is you take all your information, you plug it in, and from there, it will determine what scholarships you're available, uh, what scholarships you're eligible for. Uh, now, that's just more on, on a grander scale. Uh, as far as scholarships, uh, what, I, what I encourage you to do is get online and, and start searching. You would be surprised. I think a lot of times we go over the, go after the biggest scholarships that are out there, but we're leaving these small little ones that add up over time, mm -hmm. and you can get multiple scholarships. You know, every year our seniors are getting, you know, $5 million worth of scholarships, $6 million total offerings from either community colleges or through uh, uh, four-year colleges. Um, so really, it's just talking to your counselor, your counselors at the high school, uh, have that knowledge of, of what, what scholarships are out there. We have internal scholarships through our Pedal Ed Foundation, uh, where our, our employees' kids get scholarships. In addition to that, other kids can uh, apply for other scholarships that have been endowed. Uh, so we do some internally. And then there's just a host in our state, but also we got to have this national perspective that we're looking for those national scholarships as well. So there's money out there. I don't think there's just one single source to go to uh, to find that. You're going to have to do some digging. And I think yeah. that's that's a good thing and a bad thing. The good part about it, not everybody wants to dig, so it's leaving more opportunities. But mm -hmm. the bad thing about it is you have to dig. You have to right. put in the effort uh, to find those scholarships. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing you mentioned, COVID-19 and educating kids. So, you know, I'm going to deem you one of the experts in the country, you know, <laughs> with dealing with COVID-19 and education for a couple of reasons. One reason, because during the 2020-2021 school system, you chose to do in-class learning when most of the nation was virtual or doing a hybrid. Uh, that's one thing. And then the state of Mississippi has been a hotbed for COVID. So, you've had to face the many different challenges of how to deal with kids getting sick, how to deal with faculty getting sick. Um, so you've been in this now for a little bit over 18 months, I'd say. Um, what have you learned or what challenges? I mean, I know it was many challenges, but how have you grown and what have you learned about education through the pandemic? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier my love for science with, yeah. uh, with my modern biology. I got to use that love. <laughs> I've learned so much about uh, COVID. I feel very educated about it, talking to people just like yourself. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. uh, you and I have a good connection and, and I know we've talked a lot about that. Also, I have some other doctors within Petal, Pine Belt, pediatricians, uh, doctors that I really have relied on to gather as much information. Uh, I wanted to be best prepared. And, and from there, we built a plan in our district. And our plan was very solid, but also was very flexible, knowing we would have to shift and pivot at any time. Uh, but one of, one of my, my most proudest moments as a leader has nothing to do with test scores. It has everything to do with our people facing adversity mm -hmm. and overcoming that adversity in a safe way because it's what's best for kids and what's best for families. Now, I was still met with resistance. I still had uh, people on social media telling me I was uh, not, not doing what's best. And as a leader, you know, what, what's best, it, you have to do what's best based on the information you have at hand. And that's where I found myself. There was nothing 100% clear about COVID. There's still nothing 100% right. clear about some of the things regarding COVID-19. However, I was as educated as I could be based on relying on experts and from there, we built a plan as a team that we felt was very solid. And then our people, they executed, they bought into it, they believed it. And then we were able to push through. Um, uh, that 20 year, the 2021 school year was a challenge. I mean, it's something you can't read in a book anywhere. There's no prior uh, person that has experienced that you can rely on. You just had to live it and make adjustments. And uh, it was one of our prouder moments, most challenging moment, but also one of the more rewarding moments to be able to persevere through that adversity, uh, all in in the uh, effort to do what's best for kids, because we were still providing hot meals, we were still providing social emotional learning for those that needed it, we were still providing academics at a high level, and we were doing it in a safe way, and uh, we still had our challenges, um, but I'm very proud we were able to stay in school all year long when uh, not everybody could say that across the state. And then you fast forward to the summer of 2021, thinking that things were in a better spot, Absolutely. right? And then middle of July, it's like, we all got punched yeah. in the face again, like yeah. it's back and had to shift again. And the first two and a half weeks of school was kind of tough again, because this variant, the Delta variant was much more contagious for our age group than the previous. Uh, so uh, that posed a challenge, but again, our staff uh, filled the gaps. Our parents uh, supported us. Our, uh, we did a great job of contact tracing. We did a great job of uh, following our plan to a T. And here's what we've learned and what I've learned from it. In leadership, not everything is 100% clear, as I mentioned. And you have to go with the best information you have at hand and make the best decision, even though they might not be popular. Right. Uh, number two, what I've learned is there's things that we've learned from the pandemic that's going to make the pedal school district better post-pandemic. And that excites me. Mm -hmm. What we're doing with technology. For example, now if you're out, uh, there's a way that you can go online to Panthers Online and see the lesson for the day and how powerful that is. If you're just out for the flu or you're out because of a school activity, you're not just getting a worksheet, you're getting a person, a teacher's face, you're getting the, the content of that lesson along with the supplemental materials. The what we're doing right now virtually, I mean, I've, I've hosted so many virtual meetings <laughs> yeah. that I love to be in person because I'm a relational guy, but I, I was it's in a effective. meeting earlier today, two meetings earlier today that I did not have to travel to the coast. I did yeah. not have to travel to another spot. So it's made us better as well. Uh, but also, it, it's, I love being together as a school family. There's nothing like uh, all the students being back, staff being back, and just smiles and just that little noise in the hallway. You, you know, schools 
uh, school's in session and it's going well. So very proud of my people. Uh, I'm very proud of our work. I have this feeling that, uh, you know, at 75 years old, I'm going to be on a rocking chair on the front porch just thinking about my career. And I think this is going to be a moment that I think about is how tough it was, but how we didn't take the easy route. We didn't take what the route, what was best for adults. We took right. the route, which, which was what's best for kids. And yeah. I'm very proud of it. Yeah. And I think one thing, especially for school districts and teachers specifically, a newfound appreciation where parents <laughs> said, hey, I can do your job. And then all of a sudden we were stuck doing the job. I remember um, the kids coming home. I think it was right before Easter or right before spring break. And they, you know, we're going to go back after spring break and then you never go back. And then <laughs> this year I was like, hold on, we're not doing spring break again because y'all might decide to not you know, send the kids <laughs> back to school. So, but yeah, I mean, it's difficult to be able to work and educate your kids at home. And even we sold and did as much as we thought we could possibly do with our children, but it's not the same. And, you know, there was still a, a drop off when they went back to school uh, in the 21 school year. And we were on it every day, we thought, and they were still lacking a little bit. So, you know, it makes me feel sorry for people who were out an entire year who have to try to fill that gap because that's time you never get back. Yeah, I think you're going to be chasing that gap for a long time, unfortunately. And then this uh, it's tough. It's going to be tough for those kids. But I love what you just said there. Uh, uh, of course, I'm very biased, but our, our educators don't get the appreciation that they Absolutely. deserve. Yeah. Um, they are professionals. And I think we lose sight of that. You know, if you look at other countries, um, if you see their paycheck and if you see how they're treated, they're treated at a very high level. Uh, sometimes uh, in, in our country, uh, it might not be the case. I think it's different in Pedal. I think Pedal understands, uh, the community understands the importance of our school district. They value our teachers. But as a whole, I think we need to shift our mindset. These are professionals. So as they were taking care of all of our kids, guess what? Mm -hmm. They had a family of their own at home. They yeah. were not immune to COVID. They were still dealing with the challenges. They left mentally tired, physically tired. But they put all of that aside because they loved on those kids they had in their classroom. And uh I think I think as a society, uh, we've got to be very, uh, very much uh, passionate about supporting our teachers uh, and, 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 and standing up for them and, and working with them and uh, building them up. You know, social media, uh, there's a lot of stuff that gets spread there. And I think that can be a positive way uh, to build people up. And from a legislative standpoint, I'm really advocating uh Teacher, uh, teacher pay increase. Absolutely. They, they, yeah. they deserve it. If we're the Southeastern average, we're the lowest at the Southeastern average. And uh, I'm meeting with legislators and, and, and we're trying to do everything that we can to, to reward our teachers and make sure they get what they deserve. Cause uh, I know what I see every day, they work extremely hard and uh, there's not a more noble field in my opinion, than the field of education. I think you got education, you have medicine, you have clergy, and I, I think these people, uh, especially this is my mission field. This mm -hmm. is my field of service. I think I've been placed on earth to serve others. And this is a way for me to do that. And our teachers have that same mentality. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, so on time out with the sports doctor, this is your final time out. So what would you leave for a kid or a young educator who looks and says, wow, Dr. Dillon has achieved it. He has a successful school system. You know, he's gone from substitute teacher to superintendent uh, just to give them a pearl of wisdom or something to hold on to or something to look forward to 
uh, to inspire possibly someone who's saying, I want to be a teacher, but I don't know if I could be a superintendent or, you know, a child who's saying that, you know, I don't go to a good school, but I still want to do something great in life. What would you, you what would you leave as far as advice for them? I, I would say d- don't skip the process. You know, I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, there's one job uh, since I've been in the field of education that, that I applied for as a leader that I have not gotten. And it was mm-hmm. the best job I've never got. And let me tell you why. I thought I wanted that job. I applied for it. I came in second place. But it was not the right time. And what I found is after I didn't get the job, of course, I was disappointed for 48 hours or whatever. And then I said, look, I've been placed right here for this moment to be the very best I could be in this position. Mm -hmm. And you won't believe what happened after I stopped looking for what's next and started being present in the moment. Things doors started opening for me like I got phone calls. I didn't have to apply. And very soon I got, I got, uh, I was a, a 6A principal at 29 years old at South Panola High School. Uh, from there, I got a call to go to Pearl High School and then doors just kept opening where uh, I think it's important to not to rush things, uh, to live in the moment, be present in the moment, be everything that you can in the moment. And typically a lot of those things, if you're, uh, if you're doing the right things are going to take care of themselves. As far as, and, and also, I, you know, if you hit the rewind, but I didn't know I wanted to be a superintendent when I grew up, grew up. Yeah. I thought I was going to be a high school baseball coach and teacher for a very long time. Right. Uh, but what happened, I, I found that I could have a greater impact with more people as a leader, both big people and little people, both adults and kids, and also the families that go along with it. You know, my platform is pretty large here in Pedal, and I take that responsibility very seriously that I want to be everything I can to everyone and make sure that I'm serving everyone. Uh, so to, to your question, uh, believe in yourself, believe in a process, stick to that process, be the best you can be in whatever you're doing, be present in the moment, and then make sure that, uh, that you're treating people the right way and, and you're serving others. And make sure you have a goal, have a vision, all those things are important, uh, and, and, then, and then give your best effort. And that's nothing, there's no shortcut. And, and, you know, you go back to that being a substitute teacher, being able to walk up the steps from substitute teacher and every one of those steps to superintendent, I would not trade for anything. Yeah. And uh, I think by sitting in all those roles, even though it took some time to go through all those roles, it better positioned in me, for me to be successful in my current role uh, by going through all that. Absolutely. So trust the process. So thank you for sharing that. Yep. And do you have a book that you would like to share with the listeners? Yeah, I mentioned earlier uh, the book, um, Keep Chopping Wood. That's something we've used in our administrative team. Right now, our district has embraced the book uh, regarding uh, the Be a Coffee Bean, uh, oh, Damon yeah. West and John Gordon. Uh, that is our unified message across our district and how we have the ability to impact the environment instead of let of our, letting our environment impact us. Um, so that, that's a book. Um, and, and there's many other educational books that are, or leadership books that I rely on, but that's one of the most current ones uh, that I've been reading. There's one called Upstream, where you're going against the current. Uh, so there's many good educational books out there, but uh, of course, the good book that, that we need to be reading every day uh, right. is the one that keeps me grounded as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Dillon, for your time. You know, I know it's getting late and the kids are waiting and hey, you got 4,200 kids waiting on you tomorrow. So that's exactly right. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And thank you for coming on the podcast. 
My pleasure. Good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episodes. Until later, peace.